1 Corinthians chapter 6. Every year I perform anywhere between 12 and 20 weddings. Uh, of the couples that I marry, I ask them for five or six hours of premarital counseling before I will perform the marriage ceremony. Now, the state of Georgia recognizes that couples who care enough about their impending marriage to endure hours of counseling with a qualified professional are more likely to stay together after seven years, so they actually cut that price of the marriage license in half for those couples who do. Now, every time I sit and meet with a couple, we try and talk about things that are relevant, things that are meaningful, things that I wish someone would have talked to me about when I was 20 and getting married, wide-eyed and naive. I wish someone would have asked me some poignant questions. Now, fully 90% of the couples that I marry are already living together as husband and wife before I marry them. That is something that has changed dramatically over the 30-plus years that I've been a minister, that I've been marrying people. 90%, in other words, 9 out of every 10 couples that I counsel, premarital counseling, are already living together as husband and wife. We always talk about this verse. It's Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. The Bible says that marriage should be honored by all. Now, personally, I believe that marriage is not honored in our culture. Sadly, marriage is mocked in our culture. The most unhappy, sour people you'll ever see on television are typically married people, right? I mean, that's the source of the comedy in the sitcom is their misery. The happiest people you'll ever see in our culture are portrayed as single People, Marriage should be honored by all, according to God. The marriage union, the concept of a husband and a wife committed together in a loving and lasting relationship over a lifetime is an honorable thing, according to God. Here it comes. And the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. The Bible actually commands that sex be reserved for marriage. The Bible actually says that we should not have sexual intercourse until we're married. That's what it means by keep the marriage bed pure. And not just here, many times over throughout both Old Testament and New. How in the world can a command like that be regarded today? How in the world, in today's modern progressive culture, can we take this seriously? Does God really expect young men and young women, to reserve, withhold their bodies for sex and sexual intimacy until they're married? How in the world can someone like me stand up here with a straight face and say something like that? I've told you this before. I never feel more like an Old Testament prophet, like this old hunched over guy with this long gray beard holding a staff. I never feel more like Elijah or Elisha or Samuel, than when I come out here and talk about reserving sex for marriage. One of our counseling sessions that we endure concerns sex and marriage. And I always, I always ask the couple, how old were you when your parents sat you down and told you about the birds and the bees? Fully 50%, half of the couples that I marry say their parents never talked to them about sex. That's problem number one, parents. Okay, that's problem number one. Of the remaining 50%, 
I ask them, when or how old were you? And they tell me they were in high school. I was in high school when my parents sat me down and talked to me about sex. That's problem number two, parents. That's way too late. Of those who can't remember or their parents never talked to them about sex, I always ask, are you sure? Are you sure it didn't come up as part of a school curriculum, part of homework, part of something? And they say, if we talked about it, I don't remember it. That's problem number three, parents. If you're keeping score at home, the, the list is getting longer. What I want you to understand is the couples who say my parents waited until I was in high school to talk to me about sex, they also report that's the only conversation they ever had with a parent about sex, sexuality, sensuality, and the likes. So follow me. Where are our children, where are we gaining our sexual knowledge and understanding our expectations about sex? Where is it coming from? Where are we gathering our information from our peers, from social media, from the internet, from pornography, from pop culture, but sadly not from parents, not from godly parents, not from the church, and not from the Word of God. Now, it may sound strange to some of you, but sex is actually celebrated in the Bible. Does that surprise you? Sex is celebrated in the Bible. It is. You wouldn't believe how much information the Bible contains about sex, sexuality, sensuality, and the likes. In fact, some of the Old Testament books, one in particular, Song of Songs, the entire book is devoted to sexual intimacy, romance in a marriage. Some of the descriptions regarding sex in the book of Song of Songs is so descriptive, so explicit, it's actually sexually arousing to some. Interestingly enough, if preaching and teaching of topics in churches were proportionate to how often they're discussed in the Bible, we should be talking about sex a lot more often than we do. Because sex is in the Bible. It is celebrated in the Bible. Many people, including scientific writers and biologists and doctors and the likes, they've come to see sex as little more than flesh rubbing against flesh for the purposes of sexual release, satisfaction, or achieving erotic experiences. But the warmth and the comfort and the companionship, the love, the trust, the intimacy, and especially the commitment are all relegated to a position of secondary importance. In other words, to some in our culture, sex is as natural as eating and drinking. When you're hungry, what do you do? You eat food. When you're thirsty, what do you do? You drink. When you're hungry for intimacy, what do you do? You have sex, according to many in our culture. And yet the Bible sees it very differently, very differently. In fact, let's begin, kick it off with this, a diagnosis of sex in America. American sex, a diagnosis. I believe we are overstimulated and underinformed in America. We are overstimulated in America and we're underinformed. Now, I don't mean that we don't understand sex or sexuality. We don't under understand the mechanics 
of sex. The fact is we don't understand the intricacies of sex. That's how we're underinformed. Sex sells in America. Pay attention to the advertisements that you watch this afternoon when you watch the race or when you tune into golf or you watch a basketball game. Sex sells in America. Advertising and entertainment industries use sexual stimulation as a motivator. Several years ago, the LPGA, the Women's Golf Association, the professional golfers around the world, they were informed that they need to dress with more sex appeal in order to sell their sport to the public. And if you followed women's golf, you've seen the transition. There's an LSU gymnast, a female LSU gymnast, who is one of the highest paid college athletes in America under the name, image, and likeness rules and regulations in this country because she takes provocative photographs of herself, puts them out there on social media, has an enormous number of followers, and she makes money to the tunes of millions of dollars. Sexual chemistry in America has become a means of measuring compatibility. Somehow we've convinced ourselves that if the sex is good, if the sexual chemistry exists, well then the relationship stands a chance. Nothing could be farther from the truth. In America we are overstimulated and we're sadly underinformed. Here's something else to consider. Turns out cohabitation is not so rewarding. Turns out the numbers don't bear out the common perception that the best way to ensure a lasting and loving marriage is to go ahead and try it out first. So many couples believe that the best thing we can do is sort of test the water first. Let's go ahead and live together as husband and wife. If things don't work out, well, then that's fine. At least we haven't made the commitment. That logic is false according to the data. Did you know that cohabitating couples who then marry are 48% more likely to divorce. That's a staggering number. Did you know that cohabitating couples report lower levels of happiness and satisfaction? Unfaithfulness is four times higher among cohabitating couples than not. You see, the idea that sex and cohabitation before marriage somehow improves our chances of staying together is flat-out false. And we've been studying this. We've been building mountains of data for over 50 years now. Let me point out just a couple of things, uh, that especially the young people. In fact, I look around, I see all the parents, I see a lot of grandparents, and you're probably rolling your eyes thinking, oh, brother, why don't you reserve a talk like this for our teenagers? Why don't you reserve the talk like this for your teenagers? My, 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 my challenge to you parents today is don't wait too late to speak openly and often about sex to your teenagers, to your young people. Address the subject. They don't need to grow up in the dark, especially when it comes to sex. Here's the first thing I want to make sure that you understand. The Bible makes it clear that sex was created by God and is good. Sex was created by God and is good. The idea that men are turned on by women, that was God's idea. The idea that women are turned on by men, God came up with that. Men and women work well together. It's a beautiful design of all of God's creation. Everything in the universe, every living creature on planet earth, only men and women are created in the image of God. In the 
Genesis account of creation, the first few pages of your Bible reveal that of all the things God created, only a naked man and a naked woman together in marriage was considered, quote, very good. It comes from Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, evidence of the Trinity, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. God saw all that he had made, and it was, quote, very good. Parents, grandparents, your teenagers, your children need to know the internet did not create sex. God created sex. Magic Mike did not create sex. God created sex. Fifty Shades of Grey did not create sex. God created sex. And Pornhub certainly did not create sex. God created sex, and it is good. Now, why? Why did he create sex? The Bible reveals two reasons. One of them is for the proliferation of the human race. Immediately after creation, God did not simply create a male and a female. God created a husband and a wife, and he put them together. He said, fill the earth, be fruitful, multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. This has been God's plan all along. It's part of God's basic design. The, the foundational fundamental element of all society is the married relationship, husband and wife bringing children into the world. But number two is just as important. God created sex to provide mutual pleasure in marriage. Now here's where the church has fumbled the football. See, we've adopted this idea that the proliferation side, well, that's the God side. That's the spiritual side. When you're talking about having babies, well, that's the God side, the spiritual side, the biblical side, the spiritual side. But the pleasure side, oh, that's the dirty side. That's the perverted side. That's the world side. That's the side we don't want to talk about. Nothing could be farther from the truth. God created both sides, not only to populate the earth, but also to provide pleasure, mutual pleasure, satisfaction in a married relationship. Sex was created by God, and it is considered good. Here's number two. God has established boundaries regarding sex for our protection. The only reason God's laid it out there for us so clearly in the Word of God is for our personal protection. I like to ask people this question quite often. Let me ask you something. Has sex outside of marriage made your life better or just more complicated? Has sex outside of marriage truly made your life much, much better or just more complicated? Has it complicated your relationship or has it truly made it better? God established boundaries regarding sexuality for our protection. In the Old Testament, a wise old king named Solomon, he contrasts sex within the boundaries of God's word and sex without. It comes from Proverbs chapter 5. Solomon writes, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow into the streets, your streams of water into the public squares, let them be yours alone. Does everybody understand we're talking about sex within 
the, the commitment of marriage, never to be shared with strangers. Watch this. May your fountain be blessed. What's he saying? May you enjoy a long and loving sex life. May your fountains be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Why be captivated by some by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? You see, to the world, sex is nothing more than a, than a physical attraction. It's a physical action. It's biology 101. Americans are far too casual regarding sexual intercourse. There's no need to treat sex any different than hunger and thirst. As I said, when you're hungry, what do you do? You eat something. When you're thirsty, what do you do? You drink something. When you're craving physical intimacy, what do you do? Well, you have sex to so many in our culture. But on the other hand, the Bible treats sex as something much, much deeper than a mere physical action, much, much deeper than hunger or thirst. Paul addressed the subject in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Read with me beginning in verse 12. This whole passage is devoted to sex outside of the married relationship. Paul writes in verse 12, you say, I have the right to do anything. Well, I say, not everything is beneficial. Follow me here because this sets the whole tone for the passage. Because I follow Christ, I am not held accountable to the Old Testament law. Because I am under the grace of God through the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ on a cross in my place, he paid for my sin. I cannot make myself righteous by keeping the law. I am free. Technically, I could do anything, and that would not change my eternal relationship with holy God. That's what this is saying. So people took it to the extreme. They said, well, then I have the right to do anything. I can eat what I want, drink what I want. I can have sex with whomever I care to. That's what you say. But I say, hey, not everything is beneficial. You say, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Paul is offering his response to this kind of rationalization regarding their sexuality. Here it comes. Watch, verse 13. You say, Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. God will destroy them both. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. God will destroy them both. When we die, what does it matter what we've eaten? When we die, what does it matter what we've consumed? So if I eat when I get hungry and when I die it doesn't really matter, how come I can't take my body and do what I want to do with it? Because when I die it won't really matter. Not so, according to Paul. You see, the wealthy in Paul's day had the means. They had the physical means to throw these lavish parties. And they could eat and drink whatever they want. They even brought in prostitutes in order to have these wild orgies. And they thought, so long it was lawful, so long as they weren't breaking a civil law, that everything was going to be all right. Paul's saying, no, that's not at all the way to look at it. Food for the stomach, the stomach for food. When you die, it doesn't really matter. The body, however, Paul says, is not meant for sexual immorality. Yes, your stomach is meant for food, and food is meant for your stomach, but your body is not meant for sexual immorality. Church, follow me. 
When we read the term sexual immorality in the New Testament, don't picture this dark, deeply perverted, twisted stuff they do out there on the West Coast, okay? All right? That's not what this means. When the Bible uses the term sexual immorality, it's talking about any kind of sex or sexuality, sensuality even, that exists outside of the marriage relationship. That's what the, Bible, that's what the word means. Okay? Keep reading. He says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but it's meant for the Lord, the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Paul's got a long-term view of sex and sexuality. Verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? You ever heard somebody say, as a follower of Jesus, we are the hands and the feet of Jesus. As a follower of Christ, we are the hands and the feet of Christ. Paul is saying, your body is not meant for immorality. Your body is not meant to give to someone else in a non-committed, unrelated relationship. Paul wants you to understand that giving your body to someone you've not married, you've not committed to for life, love, and longevity is like taking the members of Christ, the hands, the feet of the body of Christ, and uniting it with a prostitute. Never! Verse 16, do you not know that he unites himself with a prostitute as one with her in body? You realize that is God's plan in marriage. We'll talk about this in a couple of weeks. It's like page four in your Bible. It's in the very beginning. When God created a husband and a wife, he put them together. His goal was oneness. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and unites to his wife, and the two become what? One. The two become one flesh. When we give our bodies to someone who's not our, 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 our husband or our wife, we are becoming one with that person. I call it counterfeit intimacy. It's the belief that we're a lot closer than we really are simply because we've seen each other naked, right? Right? Just because we've been naked with each other, we think, oh, we're madly in love. Oh, this relationship is going to last. Oh, this is everything I'd hoped it would be. We believe we are much deeper, closer than we really are simply because we've been naked with one another. Do you not know that he unites himself with a prostitute? Is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So flee from sexual immorality, young people. Run from it. Have a plan to avoid it. Be careful. Draw a line out there somewhere and make sure you stop. I don't mind sharing this with you. When I was in high school and college and dating, I had a little three-by-five card on the back side of my sun visor in my Jeep. When I'd go pick up my girlfriend, I'd pull over in this little kind of turnoff lane right before her house. I'd reach underneath my seat and I'd pull out a bottle of Scope because I wanted that fresh breath when I picked her up. I was going to kiss her that night. I'd gargle and spit out my Scope. And then I'd pull that sun visor down and I had five statements on the back of that card. One of them read, God has called me to honor not only my body but her body. Just a reminder to a 17-year-old thriving hormone, right? Generating testosterone by the gallon, Okay. Number two was, there's no need for either of us to be naked tonight. Number three, 
What do I want to tell the person I marry someday about tonight's date? Number four, I'm not going to go any further, but I had five statements. And those five statements focused my time together with my girlfriend. Flee sexual immorality, he said. Run from it. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. There's something different about it. Verse 19, very important verse. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? So when I embraced authentic faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches the very Spirit of God indwelled my body. That's what makes my hands the members of Christ and my feet the members of Christ because God's Spirit is within me. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Look, if sex is just a physical act, then why do so many married men and married women regret earlier sexual promiscuity? I mean, if sex really doesn't matter, it's just like hunger and thirst, then why do so many people get married and then regret earlier promiscuity? I'll tell you why. It's because sex is more than a physical act. It's a sacred act, and it's supposed to be reserved for married people. And the very fact that as I say that, there's almost a a feeling of snicker in my voice, almost a little bit of sarcasm in the room, only demonstrates how far culture and the church has drifted from God's original plan. Let me leave you a few things and I'll quit. Consider this. Waiting until marriage builds trust. Waiting until marriage builds trust. And marriage is supposed to be built on trust. If I cannot be trusted to control myself while I'm dating you, how can you trust me to control myself after I've married you? Pretty simple, isn't it? If I'm not self-disciplined enough to handle my business before I marry you, how can I be trusted to remain faithful to you after I marry you? Number two, waiting keeps you from being put on a performance basis. Sexually promiscuous people, they suffer from comparison and performance syndrome. You know, as beautiful as your wife is, she can't compete with your fantasy, men. That's why it's important to guard your thoughts. Be careful about what you take in. Because there's no woman in the world, no matter how vivacious, no matter how beautiful, that can compete with a man's fantasy. Not one. I don't care how beautiful she is. I am so, so very thankful that Amy and I didn't have a bunch of sexual partners before we got married. We've been married 30 plus years, and I don't really have anything to compare her to. I love my time with her. I love the way we are together. Number three, waiting saves you from the hardships of breaking up. See, if a couple has become sexually active, they may stay together long after they should have broken up. Again, it's the counterfeit intimacy factor. You think you're closer than you really are. You think your marriage or your relationship, excuse me, is stronger than it really is. So because we're having sex, we should have broke up a long time ago. Because deep down we know it's not right, but the sex keeps us in the game. Here's something else. Waiting keeps sex from becoming dominant. You see, there are other meaningful parts of the relationship that need to develop. There's a foundation that needs to be built. That's why. That's why there are restrictions. Because God wants us to understand, and this is what you should be teaching your children. 
that we build the foundation first. Then when we make the commitment, we enjoy the sex. And finally, waiting keeps you from a past of regrets. There are many, many people who experience deep remorse after having sex before marriage. See, there's often a feeling of of being used, a feeling of a complicated life, a feeling that you've given up something precious and all for nothing. When I have the opportunity to discuss this subject with young people, I'll often bring a roll of duct tape. Do you realize that you can lift a car with a roll of duct tape? Did you know that? You can lift a car with a roll of duct tape. You can make a sailboat out of duct tape, and it will float across the lake. I'll take the duct tape, and I'll pull out some, and I'll stick it down to my table, and I'll continue talking, and I'll peel it off, and I'll stick it down to my table, and I'll continue talking, and then I'll peel it off, and I'll stick it down to my table, and I'll continue talking, and I'll peel it off. Eventually, when I've done that enough times, it won't stick any longer. It won't even hold up under its own weight. That's what Paul is describing in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. All other sins are outside the body, but there's something unique. There's something complicated. There's something very, very special about sexual sin. That's why it should be reserved for marriage. So think about it this way. In light of what you want to tell the person you marry someday, young people, in light of what you want to tell your husband or your wife on your honeymoon, in light of what you want to tell your children someday, in light of the marriage you hope to build someday, how should you treat your body today? Paul said, all other sins are committed outside your body, but there's something very different about sexual sin. It just sticks with you. It changes you. It affects you in other ways. Now, the decision is yours. We're all adults. You can do whatever you want. But if God could make this choice for you, he would reserve your body for the one you marry. And trust me, he knows what he's doing. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for such clear instructions regarding sex, sexuality, sensuality, and how it relates to dating, relationships, and marriage. Father, just because it's clear doesn't mean it's easy. But God, I pray that you would speak, especially to our young people in this audience this day. Help them realize that their body is sacred before you. And the person they share it with needs to be the person they've committed to for life. God, may we be lights in our community, a little more outspoken and not afraid to sound old-fashioned, simply because we're looking out for the best interests of our kids. And I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you, Grace Community Church. Hope you make it a fantastic week. I will see you next time.